all right, I was hearing some sick testimonies this morning, right? So, um, okay, one, some of the youth group got together on Wednesday night, and they went to do prayer walking. Yes, high schoolers do prayer walking, where they pray for people, uh, pray over people, prophetic words, pray for healing. Uh, our youth here and kids, it's not like Holy Spirit Junior they have, it's like the real Holy Spirit, and we treat, we want to teach them to listen and obey, just like all of us, listen and obey the Lord. So they went all over town, right? And one of the groups, they heard the Lord say, go to, go to the mission. And so they went there and just started praying for people. And one of the girls there, the Holy Spirit said, give, give this woman your shoes. And out of an act of obedience, she gave this woman her shoes. The woman just started bawling, right? A simple act of obedience. And I was so encouraged because it was, it's, that's what we're trying to cultivate here, is listening to the Lord and doing what he says, no matter what, no matter where, no matter how. Simple acts of listening and obeying. So let's praise the Lord for that. Another one was some, uh, another young woman went to some discipleship training that we do periodically. She was doing some training the other day. She was getting trained by some folks on how to make disciples. And the Lord's been stirring her heart about baptism. And so they were going through Acts chapter 8 about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch about baptism. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her heart and said, it's time for you to get baptized. So she texted her discipler, her mentor, who's a whole college student, who is flat on her back with mono. She texts her and says, hey, I think I want to get baptized. You want to baptize me? In the midst of her mono, she cancels all the things she had going on, and she went to Lake Michigan yesterday and baptized this young woman. Right? Not only that, the girl that got baptized turned around and she baptized her friend right afterwards. Right? Praise the Lord. We believe in the equipping of the saints, that this is an all play, that it's not for a select few, that you all get to do the work of ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what you have received, the simple obedience to listening, obeying the Lord, that you get to pass it on to other people. So, okay, one more, te all right, one more testimony. Okay, so I get this text the other night from a buddy of mine, and it's a picture of a guy who's just been baptized, and he's doing this. And that, that in itself is sweet, except he explained who this person was that was being baptized. He said, um, this guy that's being baptized was being discipled by a guy that I have been discipling, he says. And so he traced it back. He said, this guy baptized this guy who baptized me. That's the third generation. Who I've been baptizing this other guy, the fourth generation, who's now just baptized the fifth generation of making disciples. Right? Praise the Lord. I know it's like confusing because I didn't use names for anonymity. But like, the point being, it's not complicated. You all are equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit to listen, obey, and train others to do the same. It's, it's incredible. Five generations of people that are faithfully walking with the Lord said, do this, and they went and did it, and they're training others to do the same. The Spirit is on the move, and you guys are walking in humble submission to King Jesus, and the kingdom is breaking out. Praise the Lord, right? Okay, all right. There's more, but I'll save them for another day. That's literally just in a week, right? Man, and that's one of the things I know about. All right, I got to pray again. All right. Oh, wow. Jesus, you're amazing. You're doing amazing stuff because you love us. So, Holy Spirit, I ask again that you just, oh, you think I got so much on my brain, so much in my heart, so much that's going to explode out of me. Um, so, would you, would you lead me? Would you lead us? And if you need to, supernaturally extend time. Or just shorten my words. Whew. Amen. Okay. 
Second Corinthians chapter 1, we did one verse last week, and this week we had you read uh, verses 12 to the end of chapter 1. You'll see in your program what we're going to be talking about next week, and we encourage you to read that ahead of time. But uh, I'm not going to read that whole chunk that we gave you to read. I'm going to read a smaller chunk that I'm going to talk about, starting in verse 15. Uh, before I get into this, a little bit of background, right? Paul is an apostle, meaning he's a missionary. He's a sent one. He's sent um, to start churches. He's going to places that have never heard about Jesus. He's telling them about Jesus. He's leading them to the Lord. He's starting churches, and he stays with them for a little while, sometimes a really short amount of time, sometimes years, and then he bops around, and he, he revisits again to encourage them, to train them, to teach them, to correct them. Sometimes he does it in per person, and sometimes he just does that um, via letters. And so he's writing a few letters to the church in Corinth, and that's what he's, um, that's the background of what he's saying here. So we're going to pick this up in verse 15. Uh, because I, that's Paul, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you, that's to you, the church in Corinth, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way back to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans, my plans according to the f flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why, through him, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and, ha and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay, back to verse 15. Uh, Paul's writing them to you and he's saying, guys, I, my plan for you was to visit you again. If you read at the very end of 1 Corinthians, uh, he says this to him and he finishes off toward the end of his letter in 1 Corinthians. He says, guys, my plan is to come back to you. I want to visit to you again. I'm going to hit you up on my way to Macedonia, hit you up on the way back. Maybe I'll hang out with you for a while. You guys can send me off. But he says, you know, Lord willing, that's the plan. Well, apparently, the Holy Spirit changed his plans. And he did not do as he said he was going to do. He did not go visit the church in Corinth like he originally told them that he was going to do. So the church in Corinth is ticked. They're like, wait, hold on. You said you were coming. Are you lying? Do not keep your word? They began to question his character. They began thinking, oh, he's such a flake. Ugh. He never does what he says he's going to do. He can't be trusted. He's maybe blatantly lied to us. What a liar. He's always just trying to get his way. He's trying to do what's best for him. All of these things you can imagine that are stirring up in the church in Corinth. So part of this letter he's writing is to correct them and say, guys, it's true. I didn't come to you like I thought. My hope was to come to you. I told you I wanted to come to you. I really wanted to. I'm not making that up. But then he says this in verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. He says, I'm not, I'm not making my plans according to the ways of the world. I'm not making my plans according to the flesh, which is about me first, about what I want, doing whatever I want to make myself look good. He says, that, that's not the case at all. Well, part of the problem for them was they were not only questioning him as the messenger, they began questioning the message as well. They're like, well, maybe his message is junk. Well, if he's not trustworthy, how do we know that the message that he's proclaiming is trustworthy? If he's not going to be honest with us, how do we know that he's honest about this message of Jesus that he's proclaimed? And he says, no, 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 listen, guys. 
We did not come to you making plans to say yes and no out of different sides of our mouth. In verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him was always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Okay, what's that saying? A lot of words, I know. <clears throat> what he's saying here is, listen guys, look at the fruit of the message that we proclaim to you. The message that we proclaim to you is one of consistency. We always proclaim, not ourselves. We do not boast in our own efforts. We do not boast in what we are providing. What we presented you was the same time and time and time again. And what we presented you was Jesus Christ. And he's basically saying, look at the fruit of the, the message that we proclaim to you. We didn't try to manufacture God's promises. We did not try to make God's promises happen. We simply pointed to the one who is going to deliver on God's promises on your behalf. And this is a powerful statement that he makes. He says, all God's promises find their yes in Christ. What's that mean? Listen, this Bible, this book filled with promises of God, all the things that God says. Listen, God always does what he says he's going to do. That's a promise of the Lord. All these promises that we see in Scripture are pointing to Jesus. Those things that are promised us are ours and ours to be received, to be given to us, not because of our work and effort, not because of us trying hard enough, not because of us being awesome enough, but why God's promises are able to be poured out upon us is because of Jesus' perfection. Jesus does everything necessary to receive the promises of God, and he joyfully then pours them out upon us. He receives them, and he gives them to us. But we have a part to play in that. He says, therefore, that's why our response is, that's why in Christ, we say amen to God's glory. Now, what does amen mean? Amen's not something we just say to let everyone know we're done with the prayer, right? I mean, how else are you going to know that we're done praying unless someone says amen, right? Much more than that. The word amen means let it be. It means it's true. It means yes. It means God, you, so it is. A as you say, Lord, let it be. Um, all right, Moran Park is a, a lively crew of people. And um, <laughs> how long have you been waiting on that? You're waiting a while for that one, right? Um, <laughs> point proven, right? Um, that I'm so grateful that when the Lord stirs in you, you, you just cry out, amen. Or, hey, it's true. Yes! And I know for you, it's much more than words that are spoken. When he's saying that our, our amen is to the Lord for his glory, it's not just saying the right thing. It's not like, all right, good song, amen. Done praying, amen. Something resonates in your heart, amen. The words are what come out of your heart. God is after the condition of the heart, not just the words that are spoken out. But in our heart, when we have a submission, say, God, you are the one that you are going to fulfill your promises, not me. You are the one that have offered me the promises, not in my work and my effort, but in Christ Jesus. But my response is to simply say, amen, let it be. To surrender my heart and say, God, my, God not my will, but your will be done. God, I want to receive, not by me trying hard enough, but by me receiving because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That brings glory to the Lord. Because so often you and I are trying to fight for and trying to make happen the promises of God that are already ready available to us through the completed work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. What's preventing us from receiving it is simply going, God, let it be. I want to receive it. Our job is to partner with the Lord 
in the promises, but not to try to manufacture them or to force them, but to simply say, God, let it be. I want that in my life. Let it be. Your will, not my own. God, I surrender myself to you and that he pours out those blessings upon us. So what are these promises? I mean, there is a bazillion promises in Scripture that I'm not going to go through all of them, right? But there's tons of there's, all right, promises for salvation, promises for deliverance, promises for hope, f- promises for peace, promises for joy, promises for persecution, promise, all sorts of things that are promised to us that we simply get to come to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I want to receive. But there are a few promises that I want to dig into a little bit deeper here that will help um, understand this passage a little bit more. Verse 21. He starts, listen to a few promises here that he points to as proof of why he's not vacillating in his decisions. And he says this in verse 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Stop. Like that's an unbelievable promise that when we come to faith in Jesus, we are united in Christ. We are clothed with Christ. The old person dies and we are now made new in Christ. It is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. You are seated in a spiritual realm, uh, in the heavenly realm. You are seated in Christ right now as we speak. That is God's work, God's promises that he does on our behalf. And he's saying to the church in Corinth, we're with you in that. That's what we proclaim to you. That's the message we brought to you. That is true. That's not just for you, but it's for us as well. And then he says this. Oh, this is good. And has anointed us. Listen, this is the promise. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you repent of sin, you come to faith. There's a promise that you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? There's anointed as an imagery, especially in the Old Testament, of anointing being oil poured on someone's head for the setting apart, for the calling out, for the equipping for a world. Kings were often uh, anointed. Priests were anointed. Holy things in the temple were anointed. This is a special thing set apart for my purpose. Here's the thing. The promise is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not now that you're just saved to go to heaven eventually someday, that you are now anointed by the presence of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you and fills you, who sets you apart to be useful for the sake of ministry and equips you with the power necessary to do what he's called you to do. That's a promise of the Lord. But what happens is, yeah, if you're like me, is we try to make that happen on our own. Where, right, all these testimonies of people getting healed, delivered, and saved, it, instead of going like, God, this is your power that is flowing from within me. This is not my power, but this is yours. We start trying to manufacture that stuff on our own. If I just pray the right way, right? If I just pray, last time I prayed with one foot standing up and I said these words and it happened, right? Now that, that's working in our own strength, in our own power. It is the Holy Spirit that flows from within us. And, and simply receiving that promise that God has anointed us, he's called us, and he's qualified us to do what he's called you to do. I mean, this is the next thing he says. The Holy Spirit not only anoints us, he's also put his seal on us. What does that mean? This is image of uh, a seal. It's like a wax seal that would be imprinted. Its seal was a sign of ownership. You knew who this letter was coming from. You knew who it belonged to by the seal. Listen, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning you are sealed with a new identity. You are no longer a sinner, but you are a saint. You are made righteous. You are holy. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are sons and daughters of the King. That is based on His promise of the Holy Spirit. It is His Spirit that testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of the living God. That, that's his promise that he gives to us. 
That's what the Spirit does. Another promise he says is that the Spirit, uh, 22, he also put a seal on us and given his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The word guarantee means like a down payment. That's right, if you're going to buy a car, sometimes you put a down payment or a house, you put a down payment. The down payment isn't the full thing. It represents the rest of the money that's to come. You're saying, I'm good for the rest of it because here's my down payment, right? And God is unlike a lot of us. He doesn't default, or, uh, default on his loans, right? He always does what he says he's going to do. And why I think that this is important, because it's a reminder that we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been planted the seed of Christ within us, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, there will be a day when Jesus returns, and we will stand before him face to face, and we will behold him. We will see his beauty, his splendor, his worth, and his awe, and we will behold him, and we will be transformed fully into his likeness. And we will reflect back to him the fullness of Christ's likeness within us. And in the meantime, we've been given the Holy Spirit that begins that process of equipping us to make us more like Jesus right now. That you get to grow in holiness, you get to grow in righteousness, you get to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. You get to grow into those things and experience those things now as a down payment for what's to come. Not just holding on, I hope I make it through this life till I get to see Jesus. You get to grow in life and fruition of life uh, right here and now through the gifts of the, and the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I know this is like up here, right? So you're like, well, okay, so what does this matter? Whew, I need a drink of water first. I'm getting sweaty. It's spring, yeah, I'm gonna, well, all right. Um, it's interesting to me, here's what's interesting, is that this is the excuse, not the excuse, this is the argument that Paul gives to combat the argument that he's not trustworthy. He's saying, listen, we've received the Spirit just like you have. We've been anointed just like you have. We've been filled with the Spirit just like you have. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit just like you have. We've been given a down payment of the Spirit just like you have. And what he's pointing to is he said, we're simply living in step with the Spirit just like we're supposed to be. He makes a difference here. He says something really interesting earlier on here, right? He says, we did not make our plans according to the flesh. What's the opposite of making plans according to the flesh? Spirit. All right, throughout Paul's writing, he contrasts it to the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is um, uh, like your own sinful desire. If you're making decisions according to the flesh, you're thinking, what's best for me? If you're making decisions according to the Spirit, you're saying, what decision is the best for Jesus and makes him known? The, making decisions according to the flesh is what makes me look good. Decisions according to the Spirit says what makes Jesus look good. Decisions according to the flesh says what's going to be the easiest and most comfortable for me. When we make decisions according to the flesh, it says, in my weakness, Christ is made strong. How can Jesus be glorified in my weakness? When things get really difficult and we make decisions according to the flesh, we're like, ah, it's hard, and we want to bail, right? When we make decisions according to the Spirit, we say, okay, Jesus, you still want me to stick with this? And all oh, praise you, Lord. I trust that in the midst of me being pressed down, you are conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. When we make decisions according to the flesh, we do things that feed our own personal um, like desires of our sinful nature and what's best for us and use it on our own, own desires rather than saying, God, above all else, I want to do what, what brings you praise and honor and glory. There's a difference. Um, you know what? Let's look at that. Galatians 5. 
I'm pretty sure. Did I give you Galatians 5? Yes. Love it. All right. Yeah, you know what? Let's start in 516. This is the difference between walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And then I'll talk about how this affects our decision-making and planning. Okay. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Pause for a second. He's not saying that... Um, you never get to do what you want to do. I think there's this false idea out there that if we're going to follow the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's always going to lead us down the path of the one that we don't want to do. Right? So we say, I, want, I got this choice or this choice. Man, this choice is awesome. It really resonates with me, but God always wants me to take the worst path. Anyone feel that way? Right? Not true. God, God wants what's going to bring him the most glory, but oftentimes he, he's the one that implants the desires in our heart. If we're walking in intimacy with him, he plants those desires in our heart. But what he's talking about here is not uh, according to your own desires in, in a sinful way. He's saying when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're implanted with the Holy Spirit, your desires change. You start wanting first and foremost the things of the Lord and what he wants, right? And so he's saying when this, the flesh wants to creep in, the ways of the world want to creep in, and it wants to fight against you wanting first and foremost to please the Lord and tries to get you to believe the lie that you're better off pleasing yourself. That's what he's saying. 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now here's the great uh, example of what it means to walk and make decisions in the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And I love this. It's like, in case I forgot anything, uh, and the things like these. Okay. I warn you, and I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, stop there. Whoa. Let's not miss this. Sometimes I think we're, we're thinking, oh, I hope I can have victory over the flesh. I hope I can have victory over my sinful desires. Listen, if you have confessed your sins and repented of sin and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, there is a promise that God says here. And the promise is down in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. It will try to rear its ugly head, but the fact is that you are united in Christ in his death, and your old sinful self, the desire of yourself first above all else, is put to death. Now you are made alive with Christ. Your old life isn't made better by adding Jesus to it. Your old life is dead. Your old sinful desires are dead. And now you are implanted with the very life of Christ, the Holy Spirit. So how do we walk that out? I love this image. Those who live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right, this may be super cheesy, but this is the image I get. Back in like the fourth grade, that was my glory years for the three-legged race, right? I was awesome. I'm trying not to brag, but it was, I was awesome, right? And the reason why is because this partner and I, we just knew each other so well. We had the right rhythm. We always knew you always start with the outside leg, am I right? And then inside, outside, inside, out leg. And we were just, dom just domination is what would take place. 
it soon faded after that. I mean, if I'm boasting about that. That's, not, that's like the highlight of my life, right? It's terrible. But, um, but it's the same image that the Lord brought to mind if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit. Is that it's side by side. We're listening to the voice of the Spirit. There's a promise from the Lord that we've been given. The Spirit comes to guide us. The Spirit comes to lead us. The Spirit comes to encourage us. The Spirit comes to reveal Jesus to us and give us the empowerment to walk out what we're called to walk. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. But we have a decision to make. Are we going to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? Now, why does any of this matter? Let's get real practical. I think this is what Paul is saying. Yeah, my plans changed. Yeah, I told you I was coming. I really wanted to visit you. But the Holy Spirit changed my plans. The Holy Spirit gave me a different direction. And I want to be so in tune with the Spirit. I want to walk in step with the Spirit that I want to do what the Spirit wants me to do, not what I want to do. His plans were being made according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And I believe that's the encouragement for us today. Are you walking in your life and are you making decisions according to making plans according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? So this is what it looks like. Um, I want to, if I have time, I want to give two examples of what I'm hearing predominantly now amongst you. I, I love that you are wrestling with how to obey the Lord in practical areas of your life. It is so encouraging to watch you wrestle through this and seek wisdom and guidance and counsel. One of the primary things I'm hearing nowadays is, um, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my job? What job should I do? Should I do a career change? Should I do a job or should I do the program at the mission? Should I move to this place and start working or should I stay here? Should I go here or should I go do there? There's these big life decisions. These aren't like small things. A lot of, for a lot of you, these are big decisions. And I think if we're not careful, we can get trapped and fooled into thinking that we're making these decisions in step with the Spirit, but we're actually making them according to the flesh. So think about this. What is your primary motive for why you want to know what God wants you to do in regards to what job to take? I think oftentimes it's because we don't want to pick a job or pick a decision or take a step and all of a sudden not work out the way we thought. We take a step and we're like, wow, that is not the job I thought it was going to be. Wow, this is terrible. Wow, this is not what I thought. And actually why we're making the decision is first and foremost about us and our comfort, not about what the Lord wants and him receiving glory and praise. Our first and foremost, if we're making decisions according to the Spirit, it should be, God, you have promised that you are going to give me provision, God. Where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I will go wherever you want me to go, God, because my life is no longer my own. My life is yours, and my life is not to bring me praise and comfort, but to bring you glory and display that glory and splendor to the world. God, what is it that you want me to do? That's what I believe it looks like to say, yes, he's given us promises for, for, for provision. Our response is to simply say, amen, Lord, let it be as you want it to be. Tell me where to walk, and I want to walk. But here's the thing. If you're like me, I'll go to the Lord for the first step, and he'll give, me, he'll, he'll, he'll give me that, and I say, thank you, Jesus, and I take it and run. 
How often does the Lord say something to you? Like, yes, I'm going to provide for you. And then we go, great, that must mean that it's going to be this job. And so we make it happen tomorrow. And oftentimes, we forget the fact that God is not only promising to give us provision. God is also promising us to form us in the image of Jesus Christ. And therefore, that means that sometimes the, the thing that he speaks to us about, about where we're going isn't going to happen overnight. But it's through a process of steps that oftentimes, hear me now, isn't straight. Because God is not concerned just about you doing what he says to do, but his goal ultimately is to form you into the image of Christ to display his glory to the world. Some of you are super, super frustrated this morning because God has put it in you dreams and desires. If years ago, and you were like, God, have you forgotten about me? God, where are you? And God is saying, I am not just interested in fulfilling that vision that I put in your heart. I'm interested in walking in step with you moment by moment to grow you in the character of Jesus and then deliver what he told you to do. Like, so, so often, I don't, I think so often we come to the Lord and try to cling promises that he says, but we forget that a lot of those promises are conditional. Like we come to the Lord and we say, God, give me wisdom, but the condition is that we come to the Lord in James chapter 1. We come to the Lord and ask for wisdom. We ask and we do not doubt. We come to the Lord like, God, give me provision, give me provision, give me provision. But the provision needs to look like this. It needs to be this job, this much money so I can spend it on these things that I want to spend it on. And do the things that I want to oh, do, the things that I want to do. But we forget that Jesus says, yes, I will provide for your needs if you seek first the kingdom. Then the rest of these things will be added unto you. You ever have those times where like you just want to move on the Holy Spirit says don't I, I have uh, like I can spend all this time this morning about telling you how to make decisions in step with what the Spirit wants you to do but I think the hang up for this this morning is what's the condition of your heart is your life truly on the altar do you truly want what the Lord wants, or are you ultimately wanting what you want this morning? I need to pray. Holy Spirit, if you want me to move on, you got to tell me to move on. If you want me to stay, then you're going to have to tell me what the heck to do. Amen. Here's the other thing. 
so many times we were approaching the Lord that we wanted to bless our plans rather than seeking his plans and his will and his agenda. But here's the other thing. So many of you have a false understanding about who God is that you are so afraid of making a mistake. You are so afraid of asking what the Lord wants you to do in a particular situation that you're afraid, what if I get it wrong? I'm going to screw everything up. I'm going to be out of God's will and I'm going to be just curl up in a hole in the middle somewhere for the rest of eternity. That is not true. Some of you are afraid to ask God for good gifts, and you forget that God is a good and compassionate Father who wants to pour out good gifts upon his children. I think we can be, be encouraged by Paul's attitude and Paul's mindset when he's making decisions of walking in step with the Spirit. He's simply saying, this is what I think the Lord's wanting me to do, but he's walking open-handedly in submission to being corrected and being changed. Guys, so many of you, you're just freaking out. You're like, I don't know what career to pass. Guys, some of you are graduating today, praise the Lord, right? Your parents are like, hallelujah, glory. Um, and there's just such a fear, especially over a younger generation, there's such a fear of you of perfectionism. There's such a fear of, what if I make the wrong choice? Here's the thing, God is big enough to correct your choices even if they're wrong. If your heart is bent toward the Lord, bent towards his will, bent towards his kingship, bent toward what he wants, he is such a gracious and compassionate and good father. Don't you think if you take a wrong step, he'll go, hey, Britain, you're off. Come on back. Right? Listen, you're going to screw it up. Oh, but he's so generous. My Paul did this. Acts 16 is one of my favorite examples of this. Paul's just bopping around. He's doing what he thinks is right. He's going here. He's going there. He's, he's just preaching the gospel church by church. He's like, he's a machine. And he's just laying his life before the Lord each day saying, God, not my will, but yours. God had implanted these desires in him. And daily, he just laid them before the Lord and said, okay, God, you've given me these desires, but they're yours. You've given me this passion, God, but they're yours. God, correct me. Change me. God, lead me. And so I believe it's that kind of heart mentality when we're seeking the Lord that he will gently correct us when we get off. And we see this in Acts chapter 16. Is this on the board? Okay, cool. This is Paul. And they went through the region of Galatia, having been forbidden. Um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word nation. Get that. The Holy Spirit, he's going to Asia, and the Holy Spirit prevents him. I don't know what it looked like, but the Holy Spirit stopped them from speaking the word in Asia. Okay, next. And when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I don't know how or what that looked like, but they're going. They're not stopped. We are so afraid to make a move until we get it just right. The Lord reveals everything for us, and he's saying, walk in faith. Walk out what he's already told you to walk. He will correct you, if you and gen gently if your heart is before him. Okay, keep going. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, how did they know what God was calling them? How did they know what God's will was? They were going. They were walking. The Holy Spirit prevented them from going here. The Holy Spirit prevented them from going here. And they, they were bent towards obedience. They're bent towards action, but not doing what they wanted, but what the Lord wanted. And the Holy Spirit, through a dream, said, go to Macedonia. Oh, that must be God's will. Let's go to Macedonia. So many of us, we are paralyzed from walking in obedience to what the Lord wants us to do because we are more concerned about our 
not being failures. We're more concerned about what other people think about us. We're more concerned about not letting the Lord down. And I think the Lord's saying this morning, walk in freedom. Walk in a heart surrender to the Lord, but walk joyfully knowing that he's given you freedom to do what he calls you to do in the word. That he will speak to you. And in those situations where he doesn't give you a specific do this or do this, walk joyfully knowing that you are walking in submission to the Lord. And if you are off, he will correct you. One area where I've seen this a lot lately is with marriage. This is not a correction to you young people. I hope it brings freedom. Man, you young people put way too much pressure on this whole dating gig. Amen, right? Yeah. There's sometimes this hyper-spiritualization. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I think the Lord speaks directly and specifically about things. But some, sometimes he doesn't. He just wants you to take a step. He's revealed what his will is in here. You can simply walk it out. But so often there's this pressure. Like, if I ask a girl out, that means everyone thinks we're going to get married. Right? Like, walk out what the Lord tells you to do. That he says, find someone that loves the Lord above all else. Find someone that's willing to lay their, down, their lives down for others, that will lay their life down for you, and that you can lay their life down for other people. But so, much, so many times we're putting all this pressure on ourselves just to get the Lord's will just right, to make it happen just right. That how in the world are you supposed to know if they're going to lay down their life for someone else? How do you know if they're going to love the Lord above all else unless you go on a date? Right? I mean, I'm half joking. Gentlemen, just chill. She might say no then it's the Lord's will that you don't go out, right? <laughs> Women, just because someone asks you out doesn't mean you're going to get married. Stop putting the pressure on the dudes. Dude, stop putting pressure on yourself. That so often we're worried about getting it just right that you walk joyfully in surrender and submission to one another and say, God, God, I'm walking faithfully. And if you don't hear a no and you don't hear a wait, then just walk what the scripture tells you to walk out. And he will speak specifically as you need to hear specifically into your situation. If you're walking, you start dating. Now you're like, okay, we're on date three. We're getting married. No, 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 you don't know. Walk humbly before the Lord. And sometimes though, if we're not careful, if we approach us and go, God, do you want me to marry them? If we're asking with the, the wrong motives, it's like we're asking, we're asking for selfish ambition because we want them to fill a gap that we have in our lives. That's selfishness. Or God, please let this girl say yes to the date because we're actually thinking about making out with them after the date, which is not honoring to the Lord. I'm not saying, never mind. I mean, how am I going on a rabbit trail? I don't have time. Here's my point. Good, Britton, what is your point, right? point is this, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would you give you freedom to walk out what he says in his word. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself to get it just right. If you walk in humble submission to the Lord, he's going to tell you what to do. 
if you're laying your relationship down before the Lord, like, God, I love this person. I love this relationship, but it's not mine. It's yours. I submit it to you, God. I trust that you're going to tell me what to do. It, it, maybe the Lord doesn't appear to you in a dream and says, marry that person. And, and maybe it's simply saying, God, marriage is on my heart. I'm going to continue to walk this forward, and I'm going to keep walking it out until you correct me, God. I'm laying it down before me. And if I'm off here, I trust that you're going to correct me. And if he doesn't correct you, trust that it's what he has for you. For some of you, you're walking in disappointment because the Lord has told you to marry someone and it didn't turn out. And you're thinking, did I not hear the Lord correctly? I don't hear the Lord in anything. That's nonsense. Maybe you heard incorrectly. Praise the Lord for him stepping in and correcting you when you heard wrongly to prevent you from marrying someone that he didn't want you to marry. And we are just like so much. Walk in step with the Spirit. One last thing. I don't know why I ever say that because it's usually not, but this time it is. <laughs> For some of you this morning, you hear this like, yes, I want to walk in step with the, the Spirit, and you're thinking in your mind, well, if my spouse would get with the program, they'd walk in step with the Spirit too. Some of you have left your spouse behind because you're trying to walk in step with the Spirit on your own, and you don't care about your spouse, and you forget the fact when you come, to, you come into marriage in a covenant relationship, you are made one in Christ. Therefore, that you lead your spouse together in seeking the Lord and trusting that the Spirit's going to do a work in their heart, that you are going to seek the Lord together and together be in sync with the Holy Spirit. Not you just doing whatever the heck you want to do and be like, catch up if you know it's good for you. Some of you, out of grace to your spouse, need to slow things down. And bring them along and share your heart and encourage them in their pursuit of the Lord. And not make them feel less than you because they're not as spiritual as you are. I'm going to pray, but before I do that, one of the things I'm going to do is just ask. Ask the Lord to speak into your heart. As you are walking through your day, as you're making decisions, as you're making plans for your life, big and small, I ask that the Lord would expose and show you, are you making plans according to the flesh for your own desires above all else, your own your own comfort of all else, or are you making plans according to the Spirit which says, God, I want what you want, I want to become like you in the process, and I want Jesus, you to be glorified no matter the cost. I want to ask the Lord to speak to your heart and expose that, and here's the beauty of it, because God is so gracious and compassionate that when he exposes something like that, we just simply say, oh, uh, I have been walking in a way that you don't want, I'm sorry, Lord, and simply turning toward what he wants and walking in the truth. It's that simple. So let's pray and invite the band to come up. God, of um, all the rabbit trails this morning, I ask that you would take the things that are from you, Lord, that you would seal them in our hearts, God, and you stir our hearts, and things that were just of, of me that I, I misheard you or went a wrong direction, God, that you would just cause people to forget those things and focus on what's from you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would examine our hearts this morning, that are we living our lives for your glory? 
Are, are we trying to make your promises happen? Are we trying to tell you how the promises are supposed to go, God? Or is our heart in a posture of simply saying, amen, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it. In any way that the enemy wants to try to take the words that were spoken here and bring condemnation and bring guilt upon people this morning, we command it to be gone in Jesus' name. We pray against offense this morning in Jesus' name. That the truth of what you're saying to each one of us would go to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for, for anointing us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us. We thank you for sealing us. We thank you for being a down payment of what's to come. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you guide us and you lead us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are forming us into the image of Christ. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are forming the fruit of the Spirit within us and we are growing in holiness. We thank you. God, would you give us the grace to lay our lives down before you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.